HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. This week on Meet and 3, it's the final episode of our series on global trade. We're thinking futuristically, from China's ambitious plans for a new Silk Road to the future of borders and automation. If you're a banana, you know, it's easy to cross the border. But if you're a person who's trying to follow the jobs, uh, it's a lot more difficult, if not impossible, to do so in an authorized and safe fashion. They love food trucks and they love growing your own food because these things are not dependent on essentially government systems. So there's a whole politics to pretzels on the dark web. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Julie Resnick, co-founder of the actual Feed Feed, the world's largest social native food publication and community serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Throughout season four of the Feed Feed podcast, I will be trying to help you solve the question that we are all faced with on a daily basis, now more than ever, what's for dinner? Each week, I will be speaking with a hashtag FeedFeed community member whose recipes are a constant source of ideas and inspiration that help me get dinner on my table nearly 365 days a year. Today, I'm joined by Susie Karachi, founder of The Mediterranean Dish, the leading online resource for wholesome and approachable Mediterranean recipes. Susie was born and raised on the shores of the Mediterranean in Egypt, and she moved to the United States when she was 17 years old for school. After graduating college, she worked in fundraising and public relations before pursuing her true passion of cooking. In the year 2014, she launched the Mediterranean Dish. Currently, Susie lives in Atlanta with her husband and two daughters. Hey there, Susie. So welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. It's great to have you. Hi, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. 
Awesome. So um, let's jump right in. I would love to hear all about your childhood in Egypt. I've read that you love to go to the markets and shop with your dad and your mom was the one that cooked. Tell us a little bit about what life was like growing up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I grew up in Port Said, which is one of Egypt's cosmopolitan cities right on the Mediterranean. It about 19 mile stretch of coastline. And so um, we spent a ton of time just on the beach and all that, all that jazz just being, (laughs) you know, right, right there. My parents, my parents' home actually was only a couple blocks away. So we could actually walk to the beach. We could also walk to the Suez Canal. Uh, And so it was just a just a real different lifestyle there. Everything we did, we did walking and um, just a sunny, sunny, sunny and warm all the time, almost, except for a few winter, (laughs) a few winter storms here and there. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yes, the market was something I did with my dad often. Um, We had like they were open markets like the farmer market experience you would have here, except a lot busier and a lot more <laughs> congested with yep. people. Um, and, uh, you know, just all sorts of produce and uh, fresh ingredients. So the way that my parents did cooking, you know, it was all about, you know, we'd go to the market and whatever we bought that day is what my mom fixed for mm-hmm. dinner. So, and I was wondering about that. I thought it was interesting that you you went to the market with your dad, but then your mom was the one who was cooking. Would she talk to your dad beforehand about what she wanted him to buy? Or did he just kind of, you would decide with him what was fresh and look best, and then she would just make whatever you brought home? Yeah, a little bit of both, actually. It was kind of fun because sometimes my mom would say, you know, we're going to fix this tomorrow. And so my dad would be like, okay, well, when he go, you know, he'd pick me up from school and sometimes we'll swing by the market on the way back and pick up whatever she asked for. But more often than not, which is very interesting, it's whatever was in season yep. is what my dad picked up. So my mom would just say, will you go get some veggies? Right. And he would just go and pick up whatever is in season or whatever it happens to be on the food stands that day. Yep. Uh, and she was very flexible. She was one of these people who just put things together with whatever ingredients it was like, you know, the chopped basket Yep. <laughs> my dad would come home with and she'd be like, okay, I can do something with this. And so it was it's a little bit of both, but it was more often than not something of whatever you can find in the market, I'll make it happen. Yep. So, yeah. And did you cook with her? Um, I, I don't remember like a hundred percent. I do remember a few. I've, so... I sat at the kitchen table most yep. of the day just mm-hmm. doing my homework or whatever and watching her cook. Yep. But I do remember when she would make something like uh, stuffed grape leaves, I would sit with her and she would show me how to stuff them, how to roll them. Yep. Um, she really she really did invest some time in those more technical recipes that you know are so true to our culture. Yep. Uh, and she would show me the steps for those. But in general, I just kind of stood by her and, you know, took in whatever she's doing and then obviously sampled all the food. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was my job. Yeah. 
that's what my nine-year-old son does. And, yeah. you know, you actually learn a lot, I think, by doing, but also just by watching. Um, sure. And it's it's definitely broadened his um, horizons and he'll taste things or eat things. Like he thinks that he doesn't like plain yogurt. And mm -hmm. um, he'll watch me add plain yogurt to something. I don't know. I, I'm mm -hmm. often adding it to, you know, even sometimes mm -hmm. like if I make a pasta and it's some kind of like a, you know, cream sauce, I'll add yogurt sure. in at the end. And he yeah. just says, trust the process. And then, you know, he tastes it and he loves it. But, you know, for breakfast, he would never have plain yogurt. So yeah. I think it's good to, to have kids sitting and watching and observing, but then, you know, tasting it and realizing that once you, you know, blend things together, it doesn't taste the same as when they're as individual ingredients. For sure, for sure. The results always greater than the sum of the parts, exactly. right? Especially with cooking. So yeah, yeah, I get that. So you talked a little bit about, um, you know, stuffed grape leaves. What were some of your other favorite meals as a kid that your mom made? My mom made this, this um, pasta casserole that we in Egypt called macaroni bechamel, which is actually Greek pastizio. Oh, okay. And um, it, it's interesting because the Egyptian cuisine in general takes from a lot of different Mediterranean cultures. So my mom cooked without necessarily labeling anything. She cooked Greek and she yep. cooked Italian and mm -hmm. she cooked North African just because of where we are located. Yeah. Um, we, we had access to the sea mm -hmm. and all the riches of the Mediterranean and all the flavors of the Mediterranean. And then we had access to obviously Middle Eastern flavors. Yep. Um, because Egypt is, is all of that Mediterranean, Middle Eastern, North African. Uh, and then some days we'd, we'd cook something that tastes a little bit Moroccan. And mm -hmm. so, it was, um, for me, all of these flavors come very naturally and I don't even stop to think about, you know, where exactly, what part of the Mediterranean, um, because I feel like the fusion of flavors can happen very naturally without even worrying about it. So yeah. um, that's just the, the way that she cooked um, in general. So yes, yeah, that macaroni bechamel was another one, what was another signature of hers. And when I would share it with friends, they would say, oh, pasticcio. I, okay. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. So you said that, um, you know, obviously you were right there in this port town and, you know, you were so close to Italy and Greece and Turkey. Did you guys travel a lot did, or did you stay mostly close to home? We did travel quite a bit. Mom and dad were very, um, very good about traveling abroad. But interestingly, we traveled more to the U.S. and Europe okay. than closer by. I'm not sure why. But as an adult, I did get a chance to visit Turkey and Greece and Jordan, where my husband's family's from, and and, and um, closer by, I suppose, Um we we were able to do that as adults, but yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right. So let's talk about your journey to the U.S. You came here, um, I think I said 18, right? You were 17 when you first came mm -hmm. to the U.S. or, or when yeah. you decided to move here. Um, mm -hmm. how, how did you decide that you wanted to make that move? Um, 
I don't think I decided. I think my parents <laughs> did for me. <laughs> they were, they had, they had always thought that I I would enjoy like a, a, um, a study abroad kind of experience, and so they they were encouraging me to to pursue that. I spent a year and a half in Canada where. Uh, other family members live and finished high school there and then just applied to school all over in Canada and the U.S. and just happened to land in Michigan uh, where I had no family and knew nobody. Wow. <laughs> and so, and ob- obviously I had to adjust to all sorts of things, including the weather in Michigan, which I wasn't I wasn't sure what it was like, but I learned very quickly that you needed snow boots and um, you know, mittens and all that. So I, I ended up in Michigan and studied there four years and met my husband and got married and that's it. I didn't go back. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah. and what about the, in terms of food, when you got to Michigan, was that also something you had to adjust to the, the types of food that you yeah. were eating compared to what you ate back in Egypt? For sure. Yes, that was an adjustment as well. Uh, so because even in Canada, when I lived there before, um, you know, I ate at my aunt's house and she cooked, you know, very much Mediterranean, very much Egyptian food, and it was very healthy. And I ended up in school, obviously, partaking of the cafeteria food and having pizza late yeah. at night. And, and you know, when I went back uh, to Egypt in the summertime, I had gained not the freshman 15, but the freshman maybe 30. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Something of that. I like it really affected me badly. Um, not, I mean, I love the food. It tasted great. But yeah. I, I yeah. think that my body was just um, not used to it. And yep. I... I, I grew a few sizes. And so uh, that summer I went home. I just didn't even do anything to lose that weight. And I lost it in the month and a half that I was working in Egypt and, and being with my family. So it just, you know, mom's Mediterranean cooking yep. kind of yep. did the, the trick. And I returned back to my normal weight. So, but um, yeah, completely different kind of experience, I guess, eating um, eating the cafeteria food versus, you know, homemade, homemade. Mediterranean. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so I noticed that we can jump forward to, um, your blog and, and you starting that, um, you know, several years ago now, but, you mm-hmm. know, I noticed that, you know, the Mediterranean diet is something that you talk about a lot in your blog yeah. and your recipes really, um, you know, focus on, you know, the key Mediterranean ingredients, um, you know, and, you know, obviously for you, that is what your body was used to growing up and sort of, Mm -hmm. it sounds like what you need, the way that you need to eat to feel, um, you know, healthy and energetic. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, kind of maybe not misinformation out there, but, you know, as someone who follows what, you know, you, what do you consider the the Mediterranean diet? Like, what are the values that um, are important for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, 
And and people think of the Mediterranean diet as another new fad, but it, in fact, it's actually an ancient way of eating. Yep. <laughs> and it is anything but a diet. If you ask somebody from that part of the world about the Mediterranean diet, they might just stare at you like, <laughs> what are you talking right. about? Yeah. Because it's really just the way the people of the Mediterranean eat. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, as far as the value, there are plenty of values within that diet, but three really stand out to me and the three that I kind of live by uh, with my family today and that I use in even my writing for the blog are uh, eat with the seasons, use whole foods, and above all, share. Um, Because in eating the Mediterranean way, we rely so much on eating wholesome ingredients. Um, We avoid eating processed foods. Uh, and so naturally that in itself is, is very good for your body. Yep. Um, there is the Mediterranean diet pyramid, which I try to follow as well in eating the Mediterranean way, um, where at the base of the pyramid and the bulk of what we eat is really vegetarian. So yep. it's a, it's a very plant focused way of eating, but yet you are not deprived of anything else. You are allowed to have meat. Uh, We rely a lot on um, grains and legumes and really affordable items that that are the building blocks of this way of eating lentils and beans, which everybody's eating a lot of those now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, uh, lean proteins from fish and seafood and... um, Probably the the number one ingredient I will always use forever is extra virgin olive oil. Mm -hmm. And that's where we get kind of our our fat, uh, some good fat there. So uh, really just at the base of the pyramid is all the veggies and the grains and the wholesome, you know, beans. And at the very, very top, you have the red meat, which is not eaten very frequently, but you can eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, meat. So nothing in eating the Mediterranean way is a diet right. in the sense that you have to eliminate foods that you love or that you like suddenly deprive your body of of things that it needs. It's a very sensible way of eating if, if you can you know, think about it that way. That yep. usually helps me. <laughs> yep. Totally. And, and actually, I mean, I think a lot of people, um, I, I actually have those same kind of core values that I came to on my own, um, Mm -hmm. you know, as I grew up and after culinary school. And and actually it wasn't until I moved out of New York City to the very end of Long Island um, to a a farming and coastal community where fishing Mm -hmm. was, you know, super, super important and getting Mm -hmm. to know the farmers and, you know, getting a CSA membership at a farm and actually going and harvesting the vegetables that we were eating every mm-hmm. week and really eating with the seasons. I think it, it forces you to, um, you know, to, to really rely heavily on vegetables. I, um, mm-hmm. I love eating like that and getting to know, um, you know, the people who are growing my food and, you know, also having like a small garden myself. So, yeah, um, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your blog and, um, and some of the most popular recipes, like, you know, I guess, mm-hmm. tell us what, 
um, your audience and your readers, what are some mm-hmm. of the recipes that you've developed over the years that they just mm-hmm. love and they make time and again? Um, I'd love to hear what those go-to recipes are for your community. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that are happening on the blog right now. And, and this is such an interesting question because I, it's always interesting to see what people are coming back to. So a couple of things, people are coming back over and over again for the falafel recipe mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's it's it is truly as authentic as you can get to the falafel of the streets of the Middle East and and uh, I wrote it with uh, with the idea that I know falafel is not super easy to make yep. but. Um, um, it comes with like step photos and, mm-hmm. you know, all the tips and tricks that you need to know because I do it often at home. And so there's that recipe that people love. They love uh, other traditional Middle Eastern and Mediterranean foods like your chicken shawarma and, mm-hmm. um, you know, even Greek fa- fasolakia, which is Greek raised green beans and, um some of the fish dishes that are super Mediterranean. I have a Moroccan fish recipe that people are making quite a bit um, of and a Greek cod recipe that people absolutely love, you know, with the Greek flavors like the garlic and lots of lemon juice and that kind of thing. So there's that. And then people are coming back often for quick recipes, like a quick Italian chicken um, you know, baked or in the skillet, that kind of thing as yep. well. So it's it a sounds good like you have recipes <laughs> that really, um, you know, resonate with people say that want to have like a weekend project, like a falafel yeah. where you wouldn't make that on like a Tuesday night. Um, that's something that, you know, takes a little bit more time and, you know, you want to mm-hmm. spend the time learning how to do it right. And then you have recipes that are sort of like, you know, quick and easy, but also really flavorful um, that are resonating with your audience. So that's great. And I'm wondering, like, in terms of the recipes that are popular, on the blog, did those correspond with some of your favorite recipes that you like to make for your family or are, do you make other things either from the blog or outside of what you've published on the blog for your family, that yeah, are your favorites first, at home? Actually, I think they're pretty spot on. I think my readers know when I love something so much mm-hmm. and they, and they, yeah, they kind of tend to follow it. Like we love our Spanakopita recipe, obviously the falafel, uh, pita bread, which people during the quarantine especially were just really moved to bake. And yep. quite a few folks were baking that same recipe I make and love here at home. So yeah, I think we're pretty pretty aligned <laughs> on on what the favorites are. Yeah. That's great. My name is Sarah Kim and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I'm able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected. 
and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to cheeselandia.com. So maybe you could talk to us a little bit about, I mean, you talked to us about the Mediterranean kind of values and, Mm -hmm. you know, vegetables um, and grains and legumes being, you know, kind of uh, central. But let's talk a little bit about um, how that can translate for our audience into what they should stock in their kitchen. So in their pantry, in their fridge, Mm -hmm. in their freezer. If I were to come over to your house right now and open the pantry, what would I see in there that you just always have on hand? Um, sure. Um, and and this might surprise some people who maybe aren't as familiar with eating the Mediterranean way, but the majority of ingredients are pantry staples that you might already be picking up mm-hmm. at the store. So it's nothing like odd or super expensive yep. that you have to go out of your way and find. So if you were to come to my home, you'll see that my pantry has, you know, the grains like, you know, your brown rice, quinoa, or um, things like couscous and some whole whole wheat pasta. Uh, you'll see some canned tomatoes because I cook with those a lot just mm-hmm. uh, in, in the Mediterranean cooking uh, uses quite a bit of tomatoes, whether fresh or canned. Yep. You'll see probably uh, all the legumes we talked about, which are super affordable. So I, I rely a lot on like canned chickpeas for things like hummus, but yep. even things like... Um, uh, a big pot, like a three bean soup, which mm-hmm. is super easy to make. So um, you'll see a lot of canned beans. You'll see some dried, you know, bags of uh, lentils in the pantry. Uh, in my fridge, you will always see lemon juice and um, some fresh herbs like parsley, especially in fresh mint. Uh, for flavor, I rely a ton on garlic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have like a whole stash of garlic um, and uh, and my olive oil. So, and, and honestly, like I'll say in terms of eating with the seasons, that's probably the best way to go from an affordability and sustainability standpoint. Yep. Um, but if you are at the store, and we're so lucky here, there are a lot of veggies that are picked um, in season and frozen the right way. Yep. And if that is what's available to you, I wouldn't shy away from using some frozen veggies, um, you know, peas or broccoli or whatever your family enjoys that can be a quick go-to thing uh, for sure. So that those are kind of like the solids um, that are always at home, that, that I always carry at home. Yeah, thanks for that. And so um, for anyone who's not familiar with your site, I know you also have a shop section. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe tell us a little bit about how that store came to be and yeah. what kind of products you stock in there. For sure. Yeah. So um, when we started, when I started the blog really back in 2014, I honestly was not thinking it was going to be this you know, one-stop situation, the leading online resource for Mediterranean cooking. Um, I, When I started it, it was more just for for me to document the flavors I love yep. for my daughters who yep. were 
born in Michigan. And and a uh, couple years later, a couple years into it, because our family continued to move for my husband's work, um, and it was 2016 now. And at that point, it, it became my job. So yeah. really just in 2016. And after I spent some time just listening to, really tuning into what people's needs were, uh, and serving the content and the recipes to help them follow the Mediterranean way of eating. Um, I started getting a lot of emails asking me, well, you mentioned such and such ingredient or such and such spice, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm super frustrated because I can't find it or it doesn't taste right or whatever. And similarly with the olive oil, there's a lot of frustration around <laughs> around what is a good olive oil to use and, and um, you know, what price point and yep. how do I know if I'm buying the right thing? And so I really tuned into that and uh, took it to heart and decided that I was going to, we were going to open this shop more as a beta situation just to see if it yep. is serving a need or not. And so... We started with the olive oil and a handful of spices. Our olive oil that, that that we launched with and we still have is our own label. It comes directly to us from Greece, from mm-hmm. two family-owned groves. Um, and that was also another neat story. One of the people who had been following me shared a recipe of, of mine uh, on her Facebook page. And we just got connected and I learned that she... Uh, her family or her husband's family are olive uh, olive oil producers in Greece. And they had done this for 100 years. And so I kind of just asked her to send me some samples mm-hmm. as I was trying to figure this out and loved their oil. And so we still carry that. And we just recently uh, launched, uh, added some olive oils from Italy and Spain, um, so that it, it just again started with people asking, yep. and we launched it in, I want to say the end of 2017, early 2018. So it's still pretty new. Yep. Um, it's very boutiquey. We keep adding ingredients as people ask for them, and we spend a ton of time uh, getting to know like the product really well, where it's coming from. Yeah. Um, making sure it's the highest quality that we will eat at home. And we do use it at home for a long time before we launch it on the blog. So now we have couscous, we have lentils, um, and we've expanded our line of spices to carry some of the spices that aren't super available out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sort of thing. And we're also collaborating with other brands like Sum Tahini and some of the olive oil producers that aren't our own label. So, yeah. That's great. Um, And so do you develop recipes with those particular products in mind or not necessarily because you're already, they're already so naturally embedded in what you're cooking and developing? um, Yeah, I would say the latter because the ingredient that what you see on the shop is actually a result of what I had already developed. Mm -hmm. So um, I use a ton of tahini in um, different ways. So like you, you'll see tahini cookies and brownies, and then you'll see, um, you know, some savory items using tahini. And so once people started seeing more of that, they're like, well, what kind, what should I buy? Exactly. So then we're like, oh, 
here's, you know, take notes. Like here's one more ingredient that people are looking for that we should make sure and offer what I use at home. Uh, So it really, it really is so naturally incorporated in what I, I do. I don't even stop to think what item do I need to use today to make sure that we promote it. It's definitely the other way around. Yeah, that's great. Um, And let's talk a little bit about social media. So people can obviously follow you on your blog, The Mediterranean Dish, um, but you have really kind of pressed forward on Instagram and Facebook. And are you on TikTok? I am not on TikTok. (laughs) Should I be? Everybody says you should be, but... I know. Well, I mean, you know, you do post, um, you know, a lot on your... Instagram stories, then you have reels videos. So I think, I think you could take that step and, you know, maybe watch and see what's happening out there on TikTok first. And then um, it's fascinating, the social media world, honestly, right? For me, like, so I'm, uh, I'm definitely active on Instagram, the handle there is at the Mediterranean dish, Mm -hmm. same on Facebook. Um, But I, I'm very slow with social media in terms of like, um, when I started Instagram, it was like way after everybody, way after the blog was, I wasn't even on social media until way after the blog had been up. (laughs) But I just kind of feel like with Instagram in particular, it's really all about authentically connecting with people. And so I just kind of post what feels right to me and I interact with people, you know, the most authentic way I can, but I don't really like I'm not as strategic as I should be. I, suppose. <laughs> I think a lot of people do have a, a really well uh, developed strategy for social media. And for me, I'm like, no, it's about people. Well, Let's I think, just- I think actually, <laughs> you, I think you actually are right. And, and a lot of people ask that all the time, like, how do I gain followers on Instagram or, you know, wherever? And it's like, well, who's following you? Are you interacting with them? Who are you following? Are you commenting and liking, engaging? Are you answering your direct messages? You know, mm-hmm. are you, um, you know, having authentic conversations? I think that's actually the key, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that actually takes time, you know, just like, you know, being a good friend, right? In, in real yeah. life or having people over for dinner, um, you know, there's, there's an effort and an energy that you have to put into that. And it's not just about kind of showing up and posting and coming back and, you know, never really looking Mm -hmm. at the comments or, you know, answering the questions or, you know, having that dialogue. So it sounds like your, your approach, um, is actually the right one to, to, and also to have real followers Mm -hmm. and a real relationship with them. And they feel like they know you and you feel like, you know, them. Um, I think that's really important. Well, thank you. I feel very comforted now, Julie, coming from you. That's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, I appreciate that because I, I do think that there is um, a tendency to, there's so much pressure when it comes to social media. And in, for me, I think I kind of relaxed about it and decided that I just needed to do it for people and uh, for myself, just in terms of connecting with them, because you get a lot of ideas mm-hmm. from the people who follow you. They tell you what to do. They told me to open this shop yep. <laughs> that I opened. And so, um, yeah. 
Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about photography because it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, you start a blog and you, Mm -hmm. you know, start developing recipes and, um, and then, you know, you start taking photos. Like, did you have any, you know, professional training in photography? Is it something you were always interested in or is it something that just you had to learn as you developed the blog and started publishing content? Yeah, I learned, uh, I know. I so let's answer the question. No, I have no <laughs> background in photography at all, and I really learned the hard way. In fact, when I first started, obviously it was just a hobby. Like up until 2016, that yep. wasn't even on my mind to yep. uh, to like take photos and with a real camera. Yeah. So it was like, you know whatever. I posted stuff. Mm -hmm. Don't go back so far because it doesn't look good. (laughs) But um, but in 2016, I finally just picked up the camera and said, if this is going to be a full-time situation, I got to be able to take pictures. Initially, my husband was helping me out. He would take the pictures and edit them. But uh, it's and this is this is what happens. You just learn out of necessity. He was out of town for a weekend. And I had to take my pictures and post. <laughs> so I took some really crappy pictures and decided that, darn it, I'm going to learn this photography business. So I, I did. I invested some more time into it and just by practice and fussing so much, <laughs> I got there. I don't know if I got there, but it's decent enough now. No, they look great. And I think I think similar to your approach to connecting with people and, you know, having authentic um, you know, relationships on social media. I think your pictures are also, they're beautiful and, you know, they're well lit and nicely composed, but they're also real. It's like, I know what I'm looking at and I want to eat that. Um, and that, you know, to me, that's like the sign of, of the best kind of photos out there, because if you're, if it's too far away and you can't tell what it is and it's overly styled, Mm -hmm. um, you know, your photos are about the food and the recipes and the ingredients. And you can tell by looking at them that you are using fresh, local, seasonal, Mm -hmm. you know, fruits and vegetables in your cooking um, because they look so pretty. I mean, they're gorgeous. Thank you for sharing that. I think, honestly, like those values that we talked about er earlier, they they really guide everything I do for the blog because – that the recipes on the Mediterranean dish always have to be approachable. They have to look like somebody's about to eat that for dinner, which somebody does. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't really spend the time to overly style them because I have been on the other end looking at overly styled photos and feeling defeated like I can't make this food because yep. it looks like not very approachable and you know, does it, does it taste as good as good as it looks? Sometimes that's a little bit of an issue too. So, um, yeah, I keep it super simple and just charge ahead. (laughs) I guess one other question that I wanted to ask, and we're getting a lot of this. I mean, we, we publish a weekly meal planner to help people, you know, Mm -hmm. plan out their weeks. Um, and you know, they can obviously determine how and and when they grocery shop. Um, But I think, you know, over the last year, it's definitely been challenging for people who, um, you know, had that mentality of like, oh, let let me go to the, the, you know, whether it was the farmer's market or the grocery store and see what jumps out to me. 
Um, right. You know, with people being at home now uh, a lot more and doing more online ordering of groceries um, and sort mm-hmm. of, you know, having, you know, sometimes, you know, your Instacart shopper, obviously they send you the, the text and they don't have, you know, the yeah. shrimp and you wanted to make a shrimp dish, you know, so right. you have to pivot quickly. I'm just kind of wondering, like, for you personally, how how do you grocery shop? Um, and has that changed much over the past year? I mean, do you buy in, in kind of bulk over the weekend mm-hmm. and then plan out your meals for the week? Or are you kind of cooking as you go and, and ordering or going to the store um, throughout the week? Because people seem to still be struggling with, you know, what that right kind of like cadence for grocery shopping is yeah, in our new world. For sure. I, and yeah, that's such a great question. So um, I am not a great bulk shopper, probably just because of the way I grew up, because like I said, we we buy what we needed yep. and never too much and never too little, just mm-hmm. what we needed. Um, so that's still kind of a habit of mine. So I probably shop a couple times a week, sometimes just via Instacart, but mm-hmm. I also really enjoy the grocery store. So I'll, I'll hop in my car and just go to look at what's new and what's fresh. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that actually is a source of inspiration for me and a bit of a mental break. So yeah. <laughs> I'm such a nerd when it comes to grocery shopping. I just love it so much. But um I would say like on average a couple times a week and I have a Mediterranean diet shopping list that I keep handy mm-hmm. and it's on the blog too if anybody needs it. But I will probably often just have the real, like all the items we talked about are always stocked. So mm-hmm. if I were to buy in bulk, it's going to be these items that, you know, are shelf stables that are not going to uh, go bad quickly. And yep. then for my produce and my fish... I probably, you know, do that separately when I need it. Yep. Does that make sense? Totally. And I'm wondering, um, I mean, you grew up obviously going to, you know, the market on, you know, after school, you said with your dad, are there, do you go to farmer's markets in Atlanta? Are there yes. a lot and, and are they year round? I'm, I'm curious what their, that, that farmer's market scene is like. Um, yeah, the one closest to us is not year round, but it's a good, it's a fair number of months. So Mm -hmm. I think, uh, like super early in May or even April, I want to say April, it's open and it stay all the way. It stays open till sometime in October. I want to say October, November. So we have that, which is a blessing. And I will always go there because it's just, it's such a, uh, you know, a break for me to just be outside yep. and and uh, uh, look at what's what's going on. But um, for the most part, I just go to the grocery store. You know, during the winter months, yep. which is fine. You yeah. Know. Awesome. Well, it's been so great chatting with you. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. And you know, I'm I'm so happy that um, you know we're able to tell your story here on the podcast and. Um, you know, share your recipes across the feed feed because we love them. Thank you so much, Julie. I appreciate the time. And yeah, I love the feed feed community. And I've, you know, obviously been following and been a part of it for a while. So I really appreciate you two guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. 
And thanks to those for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure and follow us on Instagram at thefeedfeed, and don't forget to follow Susie as well. If you have a food story to tell or you want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur who's helped you solve the what's for dinner question, we'd love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.